while you're finding that, let me say a few words. Welcome all of you here to, to be meeting in this place once again. Uh, I guess you missed us as much as we've missed you. We're certainly glad to be able to be back here. And uh, we've all been anxious for this. And for those who are unable to attend, we'll continue to live stream all of our services for you. Now, in order to keep you all as safe from the coronavirus as possible, there are some rather stringent guidelines that we need to follow. We have been following them this morning. First, everyone's temperature is checked as you come in the door. Masks are to be worn at all times. Now you say, why don't you have a mask on? Because it's very difficult to preach with a mask on. Plus, I'm far enough away that it shouldn't make a difference here. But uh, when I come down there, I'll have my mask on. So wear your mask. Bathrooms are for emergency use only. And uh, one reason we're not having Sunday school is that would make it two hours that you need to be here without a bathroom. And that's a lot to ask. And uh, so until, until such times we can change things, we're going to keep live streaming the Sunday school, uh, Sunday evening, and the Wednesday evening service. All right. Social distances must be maintained at all times. That uh, stick that you see in the pew beside you, that's, that's a guide for you. That's six feet. And uh, now listen, if there's a couple of inches difference, we're not going to fuss with you, okay? Uh, but we want to give you an idea how much six feet is uh, so you can distance yourself. No hugs, no handshaking, no physical contact, no bumping elbows, nothing of that nature. Uh, offering envelopes and plates are in the foyer. If, uh, if you want to do that, and I do, I said in Sunday school, I do want to say again, I so appreciate the folks who've been faithful to mail in their tithes and offerings or even bring them and drop them off um, and uh, to, to maintain supporting the ministry even though we weren't meeting together. When we're done church, we need to exit by rows. You say, oh, this is too much. I understand, but this is what we need to do. Pastor Meyer will help you to know which row is going to exit and when. Then, <coughs> excuse me, when you exit, don't go out in the foyer and fellowship. Okay? If you want to fellowship, go outside, whatever. Uh, but don't, don't be in the foyer there congregating and fellowshipping. Uh, we need to sanitize our building after each service. And we need some people who would be willing to help us with that. So if you would be willing to help with sanitizing after our services, hold up your hand. Okay. Okay. And uh, we're going to need about four or five people uh, to do that. Now, we're not going to do it today because the supplies we ordered haven't arrived yet. And, uh, okay. All right. Did you get those, Mrs. Gilmore? All right, and uh, if you didn't raise your hand and you, you think about it, you want to do that, we could use all the help we can. Everything has to be wiped down with disinfectant. And uh, Carol already wiped down everything with Clorox uh, yesterday, I guess it was. And with the bathrooms, if somebody does use the bathroom immediately, we have to have somebody go in there and sanitize it before the next person goes in. That's why we're doing what we're doing with bathrooms. 
And if you're coming on Sunday, we need for you to call during the week. Now, you called this week, but we need you to continue that if you're coming so we know to reserve a place for you. And uh, hopefully we can just leave you stay where you're sitting now, that that would be your regular seat. We'll try to do that as much as possible. But let us know if you're coming. If you're coming next week, give us a call sometime this week and say, I'll be there uh, so we know how many to prepare for. As best we can tell, without setting up any chairs in the foyer or back here or anywhere, we can accommodate about 40 people. And uh, that's not a lot, but that's about what we can do. And uh, so let us know so we can do it. Let's see. Sunday and Wednesday, we will not have services in here. We'll stream the services. Um, okay, one other thing I want to share with you, and this is a prayer request. Uh, the Clarks opened their church last Sunday in New Jersey. Now, things are very different, Pennsylvania to New Jersey. New Jersey's governor has been real hard-nosed about this. They had service last week, and they got six different citations. And they got another one yesterday in the mail. Uh, they're going to court tomorrow. Please be praying for them. Solid Rock has kind of spearheaded the movement in New Jersey against the, the, gov the government telling us we can't have church. See, the position is uh, that Brother Clark's taken is the church is essential. And the governor was the one who declared what was essential, and he allowed the bar rooms or the uh, liquor stores and uh, Walmart and Target and, and uh, gymnasiums and some of those kinds of places. He allowed to be open, but uh, be essential, but he didn't allow churches. And so their fight is that church is essential. So they went against the law last week and opened church and had like we're having, assigned seats, masks, the whole nine yards. And they still got cited. And so pray for them. Uh, they had people holding signs up. I don't know who was holding the signs last week. As their people went in, there was a sign being held up that you could be fined $1,000 and sentenced to up to a year in jail for coming to church. Now, I'm going to give you one more piece of bad news, and you need to know this. On Friday... A case went before the Supreme Court of the United States brought by churches in California about the governor being able to limit how many people can meet. And they said they were being discriminated against. They went to the Supreme Court and Judge uh, Chief Justice Roberts sided with the liberals and it was a five to four against the church. Listen, friend, this is dangerous. We have a First Amendment right. And when the Supreme Court rules against us, we really, really, really need to be praying. Now, it's not a dead issue. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not a dead issue. It's, it was dead to those churches for that specific argument. But it's not a dead issue. And we really need to pray because the government's saying they have authority over the church. All right? Okay. How many will make that a matter of prayer? Okay, let's do that. And I pray that this thing will get over quickly so we can be back to having church like we know church. Amen. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin with verse 25 and read through the end of the chapter. 
Luke chapter 14. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Father, we are so very thankful to be be able to gather together again this morning, even though it's with restrictions and difficulties. Thank you. So good to hear the songs of praise being sung by your people. It's so good to be able to see our brothers and sisters in Christ. And though, though we can't shake hands and and uh, bump elbows and, and that kind of fellowship. We are just so very thankful to be able to be together. And now we pray that you would bless our time together. And Lord, our hearts are heavy over what's taken place down there at Solid Rock. They're meeting again today. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. And we pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them. And Lord, get a hold of that governor's heart. We know the king's heart's in your hand. You turn it with us however you will. Help him speak to his heart that he'll He'll have a softening and uh, towards churches and their desire to meet together like the Bible says we ought. So, Father, I pray that you just have your way in their situation. Protect them <coughs> as they go to court tomorrow. Meet the need there. Now, bless in our time we're going to spend together here. Have your will and way and all that's said and done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. The text that we've read this morning reveals many truths to us as they're taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. However, in these verses we've read, there's one particular theme or one particular truth that Jesus is driving home uh, with all these words. Jesus, in this passage, is teaching primarily the terms of true Christian discipleship the terms one must agree to and adhere to in order to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the text that we've read, it quickly becomes obvious to us that Jesus had to deal with a problem in this area that we're still having to deal with in our day and age. The problem is that Jesus has many followers, many who profess to believe him, yet few are his true disciples. Verse 25 tells us, and there went great multitudes with him. And uh, I want you to notice in Jesus' day, there were great crowds of people who followed him, listened to his words, and no doubt many people who helped even to support his ministry. They loved to hear him preach and teach. They enjoyed seeing him perform the miracles and change people's lives. 
Yet few of these could be truly identified as disciples. The same is true in our day. We have many folks in our churches who profess to know Jesus, who love to hear his words, the Bible preached and the Bible taught, who support the ministry of Christ through the church in tithes and offerings. Yet the fact remains they are not true disciples of Jesus Christ. This morning I submit to you that there is a vast difference between being a Christian, a saved person, a believer, and being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. This morning in this text, Jesus gives us some terms of discipleship, some requirements, if you will, to those who truly want to be his disciples, those who want to and are willing to take that next step in their Christian life and become more than just a believer, but a true disciple of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to look at the terms of discipleship as given to us by Jesus. As we do, uh, individually, we must ask ourselves this question. Am I a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we tell? How can we tell if we're true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, number one, by recognizing the restrictions Jesus places on those who would be his disciples. He gives some things here in, in verses 25 to 33, where he makes very clear in these verses just who cannot be his disciple. He says three times, cannot be my disciples. The first group who cannot be classified as his true disciple would be those who refuse to put him first and love him supremely. In verse 26, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Here is a principle Jesus wants, uh, Jesus gives us, and it's the fact that he wants number one, place number one, number one priority, if you will, in our lives. Here's a contrast. And sometimes people get a little confused about what Jesus is saying here. First of all, note that he is not advocating that his disciples hate anyone, like we would define hatred. He's using an idiom of his day, and what he's doing is using it as a sharp contrast between loving something and not loving something. The word hate is used to contrast radically with the word love. Jesus was dealing with the potential for competition in loyalty for his followers, between loyalty to him and loyalty to others who are loved and revered by them. Jesus knew it would often be our love for folks of family and, and friends and dear ones to us that could challenge our love and our loyalty to him. You know, it's hardest to deal with loved ones when their desires for us conflict with Jesus' desires. I'm thinking of a situation now, and uh, we've had this many times, where a gal will want to come to church, her husband's against it. And they have, they have to make up their mind, which way am I going to go? That's a, that's a hard place to be. And uh, when they do come to church, there's always a, a fuss and a fight over it afterwards. It ought not to be that way, but it is. But Jesus says we're to, we're to love him supremely and obey him supremely and make him the number one of our life. Jesus was dealing with the potential for competition, and he knew that sometimes that competition would exist 
gave another principle, if you will, in another place in the Bible where he said, no man can serve two masters. And so there has to be a number one supreme in our life, and it's either going to be God or mammon, as he defined it. But he wants number one. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So no man can serve two masters, and, and these are restrictions uh, that Jesus puts on true disciples. The second one is those who refuse to sacrifice self for him cannot be his disciples. Whosoever doth not bear his cross, he tells us there in verse 27, those who will be true disciples of Jesus Christ must be dead to self. Self must be sacrificed. Self must be crucified. We need to die to self if we're going to be the real disciples of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to be. We're to die to self-will and our self-centered desires, <coughs> our goals, our ambitions, uh, all of those things we're to die to so that we might live for him. What he wants of us and for us needs to be supreme in our lives. We are to let Jesus live through us. Hold your place there in Luke and go over to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says something here that I think um, kind of illustrates for us what we're talking about. I'm sorry, Galatians 2. I'm so used to going to Galatians 5. Verse 20, here's Paul's testimony, and this is the, the ideal testimony for all believers. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, hold on a minute. Paul was still alive. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. He didn't physically die. But he goes on, he says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying he died to Paul and what Paul wanted, Paul's desires, Paul's will. And now he strives to live for what Jesus wants and Jesus will. And that ought to be the desire of every believer, that we would live that kind of life and die to self so we can live for Jesus. Let's, we're, we're going to, we're only, we can only live for one entity, if you will. Only one can be at the head of everything. And uh, it's either Jesus or us. And who's on the throne of your life? Who are you living for? As believers, we're supposed to be living for him. We need to yield to his will. We need to be willing to do his work. We need to be walking in his ways. We need to have a life that's yielded to him completely. And then he gives a third thing here. Those who refuse to suffer for him cannot be his disciples. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oh, we think about the life that Jesus lived and we think about how much he suffered for us. He left, he left the glories of heaven and came, came down here and took on the body of a human and some of the frailties of humanity for us. And then he lived in a world that opposed him uh, completely. He lived in a world where he was not accepted or loved. He said, well, he had some people follow him, yeah, but he had a whole lot of people against him too. He came and suffered. He suffered the, the, uh, the abuse and, 
and, and the beating and the, the uh, uh, terrible things he had to suffer when he was crucified and then hung on that cross naked and ashamed and hanging there dying for us. He did all that for us. Now, sometimes we're called upon to suffer for him and we need, we need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And let me say this. Sometimes in the Christian life, there's suffering to be had. It's not always an easy life. Matter of fact, sometimes it's a very difficult life. But we're to live that kind of life and we're to suffer for, his, uh, for him and his glory. Those who are not willing to suffer for him cannot be his disciples. And those who are not willing to forsake all for him cannot be his disciples. Now look at verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Here again, Jesus is teaching a principle of priorities. He wants us to place him uh, over not just our relationships, but over and ahead of anything, not just anybody, but anything. Sometimes we've got that thing about, you know, okay, we made him number one when it comes to other people, but have you made him number one about other things? Can I just say to you, it's easy to allow idols to creep up in our life. You're probably thinking, preacher, are you saying we can, we can be idol worshipers? Sometimes. Now, I'm not saying we'll, we'll, we'll get a little statue and put it on a, on, a, on a mantle or something in our home and bow down to it. Not that kind of idol. But we can have idols, and when something becomes more important to us than God, it becomes an idol. I've seen Christians who have gone into idolatry. They wouldn't identify it as that, but it's what it was because they, put, they allowed something to come into their life that became more important to them than the Lord Jesus Christ and serving God. And when we do that, it becomes an idol. It becomes something that we're worshiping. And so Jesus uh, tells us that we need to be willing to forsake all. He wants us to place him. He wants us to place our relationship with him over anything and everything. Now, let me, let me just say this. As his disciples, he doesn't say we have to live in abject poverty. You don't find that in the Bible. Sometimes people think if you have any kind of affluence that you're not, a, you're not right with God. Well, you know, Job was a very wealthy man. Hmm? He was right with God. Of course, God took it all away, but later God gave it all back. You, it doesn't mean that you have to be in poverty to be right with the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But you just have to have, to have the right priorities. And the right priority is everything I have, everything I can possess actually belongs to God. And uh, it's all subservient to him. Sometimes people allow things to come between them and the Lord, like their job or their car or their home or their social status or their comforts or their position or whatever it might be. 
So number one, we can tell if we're true disciples of Christ by recognizing the restrictions Jesus places on those who would be his true disciples. Three times he says, cannot be my disciple. But then notice this. <clears throat> we can be true disciples of Jesus Christ by meeting the requirements that he puts on those who are his true disciples. Now we're going to come from a positive side here. Jesus not only tells us who cannot be his disciples, but he also tells us who can be his disciples. Number one, it's those who continue in his word. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So Jesus spells out here very clearly, those who continue in his word are his disciples. To be his disciples, we must continue in his word. That carries over to us today. Well, how do we continue in his word? Well, first and foremost, read it. Hmm? Read it. I wonder how many, how many Bibles go unread. I wonder how many people leave the church house on Sunday and lay their Bible down and don't pick it up again until next Sunday. You say, oh, preacher, people don't. Oh, yes, they do. But it ought not to be that way. We ought to be reading our Bible every day. I'd like our challenge to read something from the Bible every day. We, we have some folks who are trying to read through the Bible, and that's a good thing. We're all for that. We need to read his word on a regular basis. And then we need to study his word. We need to read it with understanding. We need to read it and want him to speak to us from his word. You know, it's a good thing before you start reading to ask the Lord to speak to you and to show you things. So we need to read his word regularly and study his word faithfully and diligently 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And then we need to keep his word consistently. Oh, my. That's, you know, these are three hard things. To read his Bible, uh, to read our Bible, to study our Bible, and to keep the Bible consistently. Those are three very difficult things. And they're difficult because they all go against the flesh. Your flesh don't want you to read the Bible. The Bible offers nothing to your flesh. It offers everything to your spirit. So our flesh don't want, to, uh, want us to read the Bible. And uh, the flesh don't want us to study the Bible. Those are things we, we have to overcome. But certainly our flesh don't want us to live by the principles and precepts of the Bible consistently stop and think about yourself now don't don't think about other people but could you testify and say i believe as best i can i'm being a consistent christian i'm trying to live consistently what the bible says 
We need more consistent Christians. Those uh, who are consistent in his word, those who keep his word, he says, can be disciple, his disciples. And you know, I thought about this. And what we need to do is take this book and make it the guidebook for our life. Just make up our mind. The Bible is going to be my guidebook for my life. If we'll do that, then okay, if I want guidance, I have to go to the book. I have to find out what does the book say. And then when we find out what it has to say, now we have to live by it. Boy, it'd be a wonderful thing if Christians would just say, I'm going to let the Bible be my guide in everything. Hmm? Just think in your own life, how often, how often have you gone against what the Bible says? Don't tell me never, because we all do from time to time. But we need to overcome that, and we need to live consistently. And then uh, James says we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. It's great to come to church and hear the word of God preached and to carry your Bible, but we shouldn't just hear it, we should practice it. I remember when we had our children's church ministry there at Faith Baptist Church, we used to do a lot of singing, and uh, we used to sing dust on the Bible, dust on God's holy word. You know, if you're in your Bible every day, dust don't get a chance to settle on your Bible. Amen. And then Jesus said, those who love one another can be his disciples in John 13 and verse 35. <clears throat> he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Those who have no love for the brethren cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Can you honestly say you love the brethren? Well, most of them. No, 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 no. He didn't say those who love most of the brethren. Understand, sometimes, sometimes people irritate us. Hmm? Sometimes people get on the wrong side of us for whatever reason. But listen, as believers, we are to love the brethren, even the ones that irritate us and get on the wrong side of us. Amen, preacher. I'm thinking about somebody used to be in our church and, and they were offensive, offensive, offensive. I had to deal with them about being so offensive. <clears throat> it's a sad thing when a Christian can't love the brethren and be kind one to another. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. This is a good verse to memorize. Ephesians 4 verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Jesus said, if you love the brethren, you can be his disciple. And so we must work at loving the brethren. Those who are unconcerned about the brethren, cold towards the brethren, unkind towards the brethren, cannot be his disciple. Those who, who love the brethren are those who are concerned and treat the brethren properly. And by doing that, they're showing that they are his disciple. But you know, there are always those who are fussing and feuding and causing strife and discord among the brethren. Those are not his disciples. 
Matter of fact, over in Proverbs 6, God says he hates that. Discord among the brethren. And then he says, those who bear much fruit are his disciples. We're back to John again, 15 this time. And verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. He's talking about fruit. <coughs> fruit in the Christian life. All right, I believe that the Bible indicates to us there are two kinds of fruit that a Christian can bear. The first is the fruit of reproduction, and that's through soul winning. Hmm? That's through bringing others to Christ. When we produce, reproduce ourselves and bring others to Christ, we're bearing fruit. Just throwing this out to you and do with it what you will, but what kind of fruit have you been bearing for the Lord? Hmm? I've said before, there's, there's a, an old hymn they used to sing. We don't sing it anymore, but will there be any stars in my crown? That had the idea of, of have you brought anybody else to, to the Lord that will come to glory with you? Think about this. Is anybody going to be in heaven that maybe you could bump into and they say, thanks for bringing the gospel to me? Hmm? Is, there, is there anybody you can think about who's already uh, gone on to heaven and, and you, you were the one who brought them to the Lord and, and you know that they're in heaven because God used you? You say, well, no, none of that. Well, listen, friend, you need to get busy. Get busy witnessing, being a testimony, trying to win people to Christ and get people under the sound of the gospel. Those who do that can be his disciple. But there's a second kind of fruit that as believers we can bear, and that's over in Galatians 5. <clears throat> Galatians 5. Verses 22 and 23. These are familiar verses to you. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This is the, the, the spiritual fruit of the Christian life. Every believer ought to be bearing spiritual fruit in the fruit of the Spirit. But you know, this only happens as we yield to the Spirit. How are you doing with that? Can you look at your life and, and see the fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance? We ought to be able to. And Jesus says those who are, who are showing that and bearing that fruit are his true disciples. And by the way, he does say that his disciples will bear much fruit. Not just a little bit. You know, sometimes people get saved and they don't really get in church much and they don't really live much for the Lord. I mean, there's a little bit of fruit in their life, but not a whole lot. 
But if those people are genuinely saved, they're going to, they're going to go to heaven when they die. Now, they won't have any rewards and that kind of thing. They'll get their uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I'm sorry, not 1 Corinthians 13. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about they'll get their so as by fire. Or today we might say by the skin of their teeth. They'll get to heaven. But they'll live lives where they're not the real disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says if you're a real disciple of his, you'll bear fruit. And so we need to work and labor that we might be bearing the fruit. And then those who are willing to be different can be his disciples. Go over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to look at the first eight verses here. I want you to follow with me. Then he called his 12 disciples. Remember who he's talking to now. Called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, nor neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from off your feet for testimony against them. <clears throat> and they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. So here we find Jesus calls his disciples together, and he sends them out. And when he sends them out, he gives them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases. And when I thought about that, I thought, you know, when he sent those disciples out without himself, now he's not with them. I couldn't help but wonder how they stood out in a crowd. They had power and they had abilities that set them apart from the average everyday Joe. There was something different about his disciples. <clears throat> they were viewed as being different. And let me share this. There ought to be something different about those of us who are his disciples today. We should be seen as different. And when I say that, I'm talking about we ought to look different, talk different, think different, have different goals, have different views on things. Well, I'll tell you what, I find myself in opposition to the views that I see on the news all the time. <clears throat> Sometimes I want to quit watching the news. Because I'm so against everything they're for. Amen? Same with the newspaper. I look at the newspaper and I see all the things that they're for. And I'm thinking I'm against all that. I'm different. And the world ought to see us as being different. We don't believe what they believe. And we ought not to practice what they practice. God's people ought to be viewed as different. And there's those willing to be totally dependent on him can be his disciples. We're back to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> and notice in verse 3 what he says. 
Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. I believe he's talking about there. He wants them to depend on him. He just sends them out, or sends them out. He sends them out to do his will. And he strips them of everything they could depend on so they'd have to depend on him and his power. And I believe as his disciples, he wants us to learn to depend on him. Depend on his power. I hope you've come to the realization that spiritually speaking, without him, we can do nothing. He told us that. In John, he said, without me, ye can do nothing. But you know, the other side of that coin is with him, we can do anything. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We need to understand that. <clears throat> he wants us to be his disciples and find our power in him and our provision in him. We talked about the widow woman in, in Sunday school this morning over there at Zarephath and how she, she, had, she, she had one little bit of meal and one little bit of oil and was going to make a cake and her and her son were going to eat and die. And along came Elijah the prophet. And he said, make me a cake and the meal and the, and the oil uh, won't perish the whole time of this, of this drought, three and a half years. But she had to trust. She had to believe. She had to find her provision in him. And then our protection. We need to look to him for the protection that we need. The Bible says we're not to fear what man can do to us. Now, you know, that, that's easy to say till you're put to the test. Hmm? But we must trust him for our protection. He's our father, and he watches over us. And then finally, we can be his disciples by being willing to obey the commands to his true disciples. In verse 6 of Luke 9, I like this. It says, and they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I like that because we don't find any argument on their part. We don't find any hesitation on their part. Jesus said, go, and they, they went. They did exactly what he told them to do. Not only did they do it when he told them to do it, they, told, they, did a, or, or what he, they, they did what he said to do, and they did it when he said to do it. He didn't say, well, when there's a better season or when I feel better or when, when my money comes in or whatever it might be. When Jesus spoke, they obeyed, and that's a good place to be. And those who will be his disciples must learn to be obedient to his commands. Again, in Sunday school, we were talking about trust and obey. They go together. When you trust God and his word, you're going to obey God and his word. When you obey God and his word, you're showing that you trust God and his word. They go together. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's what we need to be doing. Far too often... <clears throat> we know what we should be doing, but we lack the faith to do it. Say that again. We know what we should be doing, but we lack the faith 
to do it. You know, our Christian life is a life based on faith. We get saved by faith. And we live by faith. We stay saved by faith. The Christian life is a life that's based upon faith. Go over to Hebrews 11.6. Again, another very familiar verse. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How's your faith today? I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not questioning you. I'm just asking you to think to yourself. How's your faith today? Are you able to trust God for everything? You know, sometimes we get to the place where we trust God for certain things, but for other things, we don't have any faith. He wants us to have faith all the time and in everything. And those who, who obey his commands by faith, can be his disciples. We haven't been able to go soul winning with all the rules and things put on us here lately. But kind of miss having that opportunity to try to share with people the good news of the gospel. But even when we, when we go, a lot of times we'll go and we'll not see anybody saved. And to be honest, in the flesh, that's frustrating. We're going out because we want to see people saved. But we go out and we don't see anybody saved. But we keep going. I've had people ask me, why do we keep going? We're not seeing anybody saved. Because by faith, God said to go and trust him for the outcome. I can't make people get saved. All I can do is take the gospel to them and, and uh, trust God will use my words of witness and, and his word to work in their heart. The saving's up to him, not up to me. That's a life of faith. Everything we do for him, we must do by faith. And we need to obey by faith. I said at the beginning of this, not everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ would be classified as a true disciple of him. And Jesus has already shown us who cannot be his disciple. Those who refuse to put him first and love him supremely. Those who refuse to sacrifice for him, bear their cross. Those who refuse to suffer for him, to come after him, and we know he's the example of suffering. And those not willing to forsake all cannot be his disciples. We saw all that. But thank God he told us who could be his disciples. Those who continue in his word. Is that you? Those who love one another, love the brethren. Those who bear much fruit. Those who are willing to be different. Those who are willing to be totally dependent on him. And those who are willing to be obedient by faith to his command. Ask yourself this morning. Could you, could you be classified as a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you once again that Jesus has defined 
what a true disciple is and does. And Lord, you know my heart, I want to be a true disciple. And I'm sure there are many in this room who have that same desire. Help us. Help us to fulfill the requirements that you require for true disciples. Help us to be students of your word and help us to have you as the number one priority of our life. And Help us to be willing to suffer for you. We know the Christian life is not a playground but a battlefield and there's oftentimes pain and suffering. And help us to be all we can be for you in our witness and our testimony. We desire to be all you want us to be and do all you want us to do. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.